Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Um, for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we've got on the show a lit manager producer with an active and talented client roster working on projects all over town, including Fox, Universal, Disney, HBO. He's the founder of Manus Entertainment and going on 10 years now. Uh, and a fellow USC Film School alum, Mr. Mark Manis. Um, how are you today, Mark? I'm doing well, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, thank, thank you, thank you for having me. No, it's, it's great to have you. Um, I appreciate your time today. Um, and you do have an interesting backstory, which I kind of wanted to touch on first. That um, how does an award-winning photojournalist uh, transition into the entertainment industry and become um, a lit manager and producer? Painfully. <laughs> uh, it, it is, I, I do have a very, I've taken a very sort of circuitous route. There, there is no, there is no question. I, at one point, Kevin, I saw that as, you know, I saw this sort of non-traditional path um, as a deficit. Mm-hmm. And I think as I grew up in the business and matured, and gained wisdom, I began to sort of wear that as a, as, as a sort of badge of honor. Uh, and I realized that, you know, talking to, as my sort of network uh, grew, I realized that more and more people also took a very circuitous route to get uh, where, where they are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and no one, you know, not two people don't really share the same, same path. So, uh, you know, it, it was a situation which I, I knew I always wanted to work in film from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And I was a precocious, I was that sort of annoyingly precocious film uh, child who sort of knew DPs and editors and directors and, and screenwriters. And, and uh, you know, I think I, I, when I saw Chariots of Fire mm-hmm. uh, when I was a little kid, uh, that I think that sort of uh, that was the first foot on the path, and then from there it was the discovery of uh, you know movies like Excalibur, and then uh, which I was far too young to see when my father showed it to me, <laughs> and uh, and then you know and then then I think the the awakening as I like to call it, which was that summer that the back to back summers of eighty seven and eighty eight when you had Lethal Weapon. Right, uh, Predator and Die Hard, and that was, I think, and I think that was pretty much after that. It was pretty much everything Joel Silver produced, right. and after that uh, is when I think the commitment began. And I, but I grew up in in Ohio. I grew up sort of in the northeastern, you know, corner of northeastern part of the state, and uh, I didn't know anyone in in the entertainment business. Uh, I had supposedly had an uncle out here who made toy boats for uh, for Marlon Brando. That that was literally like literally he had, he had like a hobby shop and he made remote like these he would custom make these remote controlled boats uh, and Marlon Brando would come ashore because I think at this point he was living on his like island in seclusion if I'm not mistaken <laughs> and uh, he would come into town and he would visit my uncle's shop and and buy like four or five of these remote control boats and then take them back to his island and he would, he would play with them, hmm. uh, which I always thought was very fascinating. So that, that was as close as I, as I got. And, uh, so I had to figure out how to get there. And obviously film school, as you know, is a, you know, is a sort of logical 
course of action. Uh, but what happened is, is, you know, sort of in between, because I, I, I didn't have, you know, again, I didn't have family that was sort of particularly savvy to the, to the business, mm-hmm. uh, or what, or what it entailed. Um, and it's certainly right. It's always, but if I knew then what I know now, uh, so I, you know, it, 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 I, I would say the beginning was a bit bumpy, so I had to kind of figure out how I could sort of get from where, from point A to, to point B. And, you know, I had this sort of conversation with my parents who've always been very supportive. And they said, they said, look, you know, maybe, you know, maybe having an undergraduate degree in, in something like film, knowing that, you know, you are 16 and at this stage quite mercurial uh, perhaps things will change. So, you know, what, what are your other interests? We're simply advising you to perhaps, you know, invest in something that at the end of four years, you're not stuck with the degree that is impractical. And right. I said, you know what, look, for, for once, my parents make sense. <laughs> right <laughs> at 16. So uh, that led me to study as an undergrad. Uh, that led me to study broadcast journalism. And mm-hmm. I started interning. Uh, at the local uh, NBC affiliate, and they, it was a very fortuitous sort of chain of events in which uh, some of the photographers, the uh, the professional photographers working at this NBC affiliate uh, left, you know, for bigger, for larger markets or retirement. Mm-hmm. And they had a, they had spots that needed filled, and I was, and you know, again, I was a sort of cinematically educated intern who knew his way around technology and right. uh and they thought I had a good eye and so I started working part time and then by the time I was a senior in college uh I was actually working pretty much full time so it so it was so my my exposure to broadcast journalism uh, or to photojournalism rather uh really you know really was almost most of my college my undergraduate career uh, and then uh, for the following year after I graduated, uh, I started applying to graduate film programs, and I came to USC, mm-hmm. and uh, and that ended my illustrious uh, pho- uh, career in photojournalism. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you went to graduate school, went to SC. Um, again, how did you transition from sort of a film production-ish background you know, film school to managing, producing? I met, I got to know, while I I was at USC, I got to know a guy named Craig Heyman, Mm -hmm. who was, who who, uh, at one time was notorious for palling around with, uh, Roger Avery and Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. He was the he was the third. He was Porthos. He was the sort of third musketeer. Right. And he introduced me to Roger Avery, mm-hmm. uh, and they in turn introduced me to Quentin's manager, a woman named Catherine James, right. who has since passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, I were I assisted those guys on a movie that they, that they were doing. Um, and then when that movie, uh, fin- completed Catherine, one of Catherine's associates was leaving and she asked me if I would be interested in 
in the world of representation, you know, I mean, I was out of school. I had just, you know, I'd done my first like real production job being on set. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I wasn't quite sure exactly what the direction, uh, was going to be at, at, at that point. So, you know, I had a, I had a film, I had a, you know, an education in film production. I was not in the Peter Stark program. I was, I was, I was a graduate production program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and this sort of, you know, this sort of uh, on-the-ground training of sorts. Uh, so I thought, you know, why not? Maybe this is my agency assistant route. Because I never had that speech. A lot of people, and this sort of, this sort of circles back to the outset of, of, this, of, of this discussion in your, in your previous question, uh, you know, which is the sort of traditional, you know, a more traditional versus non-traditional route. And I know a lot of people who are, I think, I feel fortunate enough or, or maybe un- misfortunate enough, you know, to sort of have that run into that person that ha- can provide them, you know, with the sort of proper guidance. And usually that guidance, you know, takes the, takes the form of, you know, go, go work at, go work at one of the agencies. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I never, I never met that person. So I think it was just, you know, again, just a, just a very sort of fortuitous series of events that led me, you know, through from film school to a production stint, you know, assisting producers and a director to, you know, working in, in, in representation. And I kind of fell in love with it. And Catherine gave me a, you know, a, a lot of responsibility. It was a tremendous baptism by fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of got thrown in, you know, she didn't treat any of her employees, uh, like assistants. You know, of oh. course I had to do the, you know, I mean, of course I had to sort of do the traditional assistant duties like, uh, you know, break down. Cause she also wrecked actors. So, you know, doing breakdowns and stuffing envelopes and, uh, uh you know, this was sort of at the, at the just sort of at the advent of uh, of you know electronic submissions, mm-hmm. so that hadn't really sort of caught on yet. And she still did it the old school way, putting putting uh, headshots and envelopes and uh, leaving them out outside the office door for a messenger to pick up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and that was it. And she, you know she gave me a lot of responsibility and leeway, and she would take me to meetings with her. And I think you know because she had a very sort of boutique operation. Uh, you know, she, she had enabled her to, and, and also because she was a very generous person mm-hmm. uh, at, at, at her core, she, you know, it, it enabled her to, you know, to sort of spread the wealth a little bit. So, you know, I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, while someone else may have been over at, the, you know, APA or CAA toiling until 10 p.m., you know, at 7.30, Catherine would say, oh, I, you know, I have to go. I'm having I'm having drinks with Tony Scott, you know, because Tony had directed True Romance. Sure. So uh, it's it's like oh you should come. And my first reaction is always to say to take notes. And she'd be like no to have a glass of wine with us. And that was the kind of person that she was. So it kind of put me in proximity, you know. I think because of my relationship with her and that I had earned her trust, and obviously because she had sort of nurtured and and you know for all intents and purposes discovered Quentin Tarantino. It put her in proximity to, you know, all of those people, 
get the Tony Scotts of the world, you know, uh, uh, the, the, obviously the Weinsteins and, uh, you know, Oliver Stone. And, you know, so these were actually some of the first, you know, I, one of the first meetings I think I ever had, you know, as sort of a, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, assistant, uh, associate slash junior uh, manager, you know, was with Roy Lee, who obviously now, you know, who just produced the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, these these were the kinds of, uh, you know, these were the sort of people that she sort of had in her orbit, and it was a great, uh, you know, I, I think it was it was unique in its own way, uh, and so I never really had the, you know, again the sort of typical, uh, the typical sort of assistant lifestyle um, at one of the major agencies, you know, would would my would perhaps my contact uh, my sort of contact list be longer than it than it is today? Yeah, possibly, but who's to say? I had my own experience and it was great. And so, you know, I learned a lot from her and from there I went to I I actually with her blessing left uh left after about two years to uh co produce an independent feature in Colorado for uh a friend of mine who at the time was working for Tom Cruise. Hmm. And uh, he was originally from Denver, and he knew some guys who were putting together this movie, and they wanted someone from L.A. who had sort of casting, uh, you know, and executive relationships to sort of be, you know, that uh, that that conduit. And so, uh, you know, Catherine was like, "I think that'd be a great experience for you. You should you should go do it." And so I went off, and I kind of jumped back into into physical production from the from a you know from a producer standpoint uh not not in the sense of a real produce you know real pro- I never for once thought it was sort of a real producing gig I was essentially just a you know a hired hand who to whom they gave a producer credit um but I did you know I hired a lot of the crew on the ground there and I got us our casting director which is you know I think is exactly what they wanted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh and so that was a great experience, and that sort of, you know, occupied about six to ten months of my life. And then I came back to Los Angeles, and I didn't expect my, my desk at Catherine's to still be waiting for me. And that was sort of part of our complicit arrangement. And I went to work for uh, another sort of upstart management production company called Incognito, uh, which was sort of coming off of the success of Three to Tango. I don't know if you remember that movie, Three to Tango, with... Uh, with Nev Campbell and uh, Dylan McDermott, mm-hmm. and uh, the the uh, gentleman who started Incognito, uh, he had exi- he had sort of found that script and uh, and had done you know had sort of developed it with the writer and had stayed on as an executive producer, and I think he, he sort of used that as a springboard to uh, secure a line of financing to start this company, and he started recruiting people from around, you know, from around town. So, uh, you know, he brought in a talent agent from William Morris. Uh, he brought in a guy named Larry Weinberg, who had done The Last Supper and photographing fairies and, and a myriad of other projects uh, to head up production. And then, uh, and then me, 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 and then he started bringing in some other managers. So uh, one of whom would become my future partner, uh, a guy named Jamie Gold. Hmm. And uh, and then after about three years at Incognito, Jamie and I left to uh, you know to sort of uh, go sort of back 
you know, into the sort of independent space. And, uh, you know, I handled literary and he handled talent. And, and uh, you know, we tried to sort of build a, a company together. And, and uh, you know, I think because he had been a very, I think he, because he had been sort of a very precocious um, child as well, you know, he was interning at, at agencies when he was in his teens, like in high school and college in New right. York. And he became an agent at like 22, like literally after almost after graduating college, right. he, he was working as a talent agent in, in New York and then came out to L.A. and was an agent out here and then uh, segued into management. So I think at a certain point, you know, uh, by the time, you know, by the time he was sort of in his 30s, you know, there, he was like, I've been doing this a long time. And I think there was just looking at other, you know, sort of other avenues, other entrepreneurial things to pursue and. And, uh, and so, you know, we parted ways and I, you know, I had the writers and the directors and I realized possibly too late. It was a sort of, oh shit moment when you realize that you have a client list that is in need of nurturing, uh, further nurturing and, uh, not necessarily sexy to other bigger companies. And so I did a round of meetings and, you know, the advice I got was probably the same advice that a lot of my 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 peers and colleagues got from other people, which is why don't, why, why don't you just bite the bullet and do it? And this was, you know, this was sort of in the wake of other people not staying at companies, you know, other managers not necessarily staying at companies for 10, 15 years mm. and then starting their own company. You're talking about, you know, J.C. Spink was an, was an assistant at Zy Perry when he and Chris Bender went out and started Bender Spank. So I, there, there was a lot of precedent there for me to look at, and I know all of these guys very well to this day. So, you know, Brooklyn Weaver had started his company, and, and, and JC and Chris and, uh, you know, a myriad of others were leaving agencies and management companies and becoming, and becoming uh, you know, start hanging their own shingle. And so I thought, you know, if I can hang in there long enough, uh, I, I can do this too. And that, and here we are today. So that was about five, I would say that was about five years ago. And now I have, uh, you know, I've got a client list that of which I'm very proud and sort of, emer you know, uh, mainly emerging genre, mm -hmm. uh, writers and directors. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sort of very excited about the possibilities. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And as a former agency assistant, I have to say your route sounds a lot more fun and interesting than, than mine did. Um, well, I think there's two, right? I mean, uh, sorry, Ken, let me interject no, no. for a moment. I feel like there's two, like two things are going to come of that mm -hmm. that route, right? I mean, you 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 know this. You you either go like you either embrace it and you become like like they are, you know, which is which sure. is not to be sound negative in any way, but I think you're either, you either have that demeanor and that mentality and that sort of drive and ambition, or, or you don't, or you, you're like, this is not for me. I want to go be a writer's assistant on a TV show, and your sure. boss makes a phone call. Right, right. So it's not, it's, I think it's certainly, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people who were assistants at, at CAA and, and Endeavor and William Morris and UTA, uh, you know, who to, to this day, you know, like five, six, seven, eight, ten years later, you know, they're sort of like, I still don't know what I'm doing. So I, I, I half of what my comment was uh, also, um, you know, having drinks with Oliver Stone and Tony Scott and Roy Lee and things like yeah. that. But no, that's fantastic. Um, now, speaking about clients, um, uh, in terms of, of 
aspiring screenwriters. How much material is ideal for an aspiring screenwriter to have in his or her portfolio? I mean, obviously, that's great material, but like, what do you like to see in their arsenal that would make it easier for you to sell him or her around town? I know, this is always a great question. Uh, for, for, for me, yeah. well, you know, this sort of, this, what, what I like about this question is, is that it, it sort of, it, it addresses three or four issues simultaneously, which is if they have, you should have enough that represents that you are always willing to do more, mm-hmm. if, that makes, if, if that makes sense. The the right the writer who comes out on top, uh, who sort of gains the yardage that is necessary in in this game of Hollywood, uh, is the writer who is constantly when when he or she finishes something, uh, they are seeking out the next opportunity, and so I think it's about sort of amassing. You know, you're you're certainly going to have when you're starting out, you're certainly going to have your your learn your sort of infancy period, right? The sort of period of, of, uh, of kind of that fundamental growth where you go from like shitty to okay. And those, those probably will, will stay forever in the drawer or on the hard drive. I love that everybody says in the drawer when who actually puts anything in a drawer these days. Right. So those, those, those scripts will be some, somewhere on a hard drive or, or deleted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think by the time you get, I think by the time sort of, I feel that a writer is sort of ready for, for that introduction, he or she should, should have anywhere from, you know, two to three uh, mm-hmm. really strong samples. And I think more, more importantly than that, uh, the, what's, what's, at, what's in the pipeline, you know, right. how many, how many ideas are there and do those ideas uh, sort of reek of, you know, are are they? Do they have the sort of redolent stench of 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 uh, you know uncommercial, non-commercial disaster, or uh, do they represent that this person is certainly you know not a fluke and understands uh, you know intrinsically what you know how to sort of write something passionately, creatively, uh, characteristically, and you know commercially. And so I think that I think sort of what's what's coming is equally important as what they ha- what that person has in hand. Right. And then there's the team, you know, then there's certainly uh, the diversification of it all. And that's what I mean. It's sort of like that question, that very question sort of addri- it's not as simple as two scripts for mm-hmm. me. Right. It, no, it sure. is it is much it is much it's much more complicated than that. Uh, it, it it is it, there's also the the necessity of diversification uh, mm-hmm. to understand. Hey, I have this feature script that represents my voice, but I have a TV, uh, you know, an original TV spec, whether it's half hour comedy or or a one hour drama that also represents my voice and my vision. And I think that's really sort of what it comes down to is being able to, you know, if you if you're suddenly you know, I think like a great example, uh, you know, I use these guys a lot. You'd look at someone like, you know, um, uh, like, like Aaron Guzikowski, right. Is a great, is a great example. It's, you know, I, I'm sure that he was, that he was thinking about television 
uh, as Prisoners was happening. Mm-hmm. When he wrote Prisoners, his reps probably said, you have TV ideas uh, as, as well, because it's just it's just a reality. And, sure. you know, maybe Aaron Guzikowski has a very sort of darkly violent comp- graphic novel in him that's waiting to get out, too. The point being is that a storyteller, you right, that's that to me is symptomatic of the successful writer. Uh, that he or she is a storyteller. If it's like, I have two scripts and that's all I have, mm-hmm. closed door. Closed doors all the way down the hallway until you get to the exit. Right. <laughs> um, now, I know you have uh, some clients who are not local. Um, and I, that's something that gets brought up quite a bit. Um, we get asked that a lot. And so I think you're a, a great person to answer this um what's your take on aspiring screenwriters that are not local to los angeles um is that kind of a thing a concern to you i mean um how do you work with those types of clients and what kind of special challenges do they bring that's a great question uh i do i do have a sort of very uh pointed perspective on this as uh as you know i do, there are a handful of of clients who are not local, and you know, look, it, success is relative, mm-hmm. as we know. I, I I think that for where they are and how far they've come, uh, they I would term that I would say that they are very successful, um, and you know that is due largely in part to some of the things that we've already you know that I've already sort of talked about uh thus far which is you know uh moving you know always being excited about the the new thing uh a a sort of un, almost unhealthy demand on themselves to be better than than they are currently uh getting the you know asking for scripts you know i know that sort of all of the that's the one trait that i would say all of my clients who do not live in los angeles possess and that is that is a almost sort of addictive need to, uh, you know, to get their hands on stuff. Like, can you get me the screener of this, of this film so I can see it? Do you have that spec that just sold? I, I want to read it. Uh, they're really great about that. And so I think it helps keep them sharp and, and relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it, does it make life easier uh, to be sort of local and, uh, you know, able to, to uh, you know, take meetings here in town. Sure, but you're also talking about a new world order in which there are a growing number of producers and, and equity financiers and sales companies uh, with outposts in places like New York, mm-hmm. uh, Toronto. Vancouver, Chicago. I just happens to be my, my my clients who sort of live out of who do not live in Los Angeles live in some of those places. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if they are, are are utterly removed from the process or it's sort of from the you know feet on the ground. Uh, so I, I think you know again that's you know, they're probably very fortunate in being able to sort of be in, in, in those those places and at least sort of be in a, you know, in, in, in an urban, sort of urban, or I would say more urbane environments in which they have access to certain things like production equipment and 
you know, crew, like, you know, strong crews and a pool of talent, uh, you know, for the person who perhaps maybe is, you know, living in that, you know, I mean, this is a bit, this is a bit, obviously this is a bit exaggerative, but you know, the one room schoolhouse town, I don't, you know, the one post office town, right. I don't, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I, that I don't know. The point is they can still learn there. They can sure. gift, they can hone their skills. Technology is amazing and it has enabled it. I think it has created, uh, it's given the ability to, you know, nascent talent worldwide and I think you can do it now you can make a funny YouTube series and put it up and people you know someone like me sees it and comes calling and then it, then that sort of it becomes a discussion of what are the next steps I, I find that a lot of the people who decide to move here uh, you know have are prepared are prepared to do so they don't do so uh, blindly or ignorantly, they say, "I'm going to finish what I'm, I feel I'm ready, and now I want to I want to come." So the short answer is, yeah, always makes things easier if you're local for sort of particularly for you know last minute meetings. But if the person, you know, if the if the client is sort of you know adequately prepared mm-hmm. for such things like, you know, like my, I represent a young director named Alan Unger, who's based in Toronto, who's, uh, you know, who just did a movie called Tap, which Lionsgate is releasing, and he's, he, he, he's, uh, they're in active prep uh, on a movie called Gridlocked, which will shoot in uh, Ontario, uh, I think in like two months, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he's able to fly down. So he comes down for 10 days and does round and does rounds of meetings. And does like three, four, five meetings a day. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of goes back and he sort of, you know, has his, he has his pool of resources and he, you know, he's now on people's radar. Uh, at some point he will likely need to come here. Right. Uh, right. You know, my guys in Chicago have been doing very well since Felon White uh, wrote a script called Shut In that uh, put, got them on the sort of blood list in 2012. They've made a myriad of other lists. They, you know, shut in, led to an adaptation of a best-selling graphic novel called Crawl to Me, which the, the Spanish producers of The Orphanage are doing. Uh, they, they just did VHS 3, uh, and they set up a supernatural thriller called Weep uh, for what the producers have contracted. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is moving forward. Uh, they're in Chicago, and that's oh. a lot. That's a lot of that. You know, th- those are some very high-profile projects mm-hmm. uh, to be doing, and not the MLA. Right, right. So it's, it's it's possible, but on the whole, I think it's important to be here. Sure. Just gotcha. for, just simply for the convenience of access. Right, right. Um, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, what's your take on on paid services? Paid readers, script consultants, screenplay competitions, the the online tracking evaluation services. Um, have you ever signed a client based on like a good review or coverage from one of these services, or you know a screenplay screenplay competition win or something? Uh, yeah, screenplay. Oh, yes, screenplay competitions definitely. I think there are some. I th- look. I mean, like like with anything in life, Kevin, you've got good ones and you've got sure. uh, let's say not so not so good. Um, I think that, you know, I think that they, the contests themselves, I think are beneficial. And, and to me, these are two very sort of distinct categories. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think that, 
there are certain consultants that are that are very very good at what they do. Like I find what sort of Lee, I don't know if you know Lee Jessup, but mm-hmm. you know she's been a, a friend for many years and a and an ardent sort of supporter of me and my and my clients and just just an all around just great gal. And you know I I feel like what she does for her clients is provide an invaluable service. You know she is more sort of creative confidant. And, and guidance counselor than, hey, I'm just giving you notes on a script. Right. Um, and, and then I think there are others who simply, you know, who simply uh, perhaps, you know, I don't, I don't want to seem distasteful, but, you know, let's, let's call it what it is. I feel like perhaps there's somebody who, you know, who's sort of like, I don't want to be in the system or the system has rejected me and uh, I need to figure out a way to make money and not have to work at Walmart. And so they suddenly are hanging a consultant shingle without any sort of, in, in, in my opinion, without the proper credentials. Mm-hmm. Like what what have what have they done? What does a what does a twenty eight year old former like creative executive necessarily know about about developing good material? Right. You know, I, I I don't know if I don't know if I would have the confidence necessarily to you know to sort of uh, you know to sort of solicit that kind of business. Uh, from aspiring writers and say, listen to me because I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I think it's, I, th- I, I think it's an aggregation of, ex- of, of sort of experience in the business mm-hmm. and, and, and wisdom and an understanding of how the system works. Right. Uh, and I think the people who, you know, can check those boxes, I think they're, they're, they're very good uh, at, at, w- at what they do. And, uh, and look at the client, if the client, the writer is benefiting from that service, then fantastic. As long as that person feels he or she is, you know, uh, advancing in the, in the skill with, you know, in, in the skill of, of screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And the contests are, contests are great. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I see, you know, I have a, I have currently, I have a nickel, uh, final finalist. He was a nickel finalist. Incredibly gifted young man who was, you know, top, t- you know, ten top ten out of eight thousand. Right. Eight eight bad. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, several others. Yeah, that pay. I think pay. Blue Cat's great. Page is great. Mm-hmm. Sin Story is amazing. Uh, because that to me, like, what I don't know if you're familiar with Sin Story, but what they do is sort of intensive that's like an intensive boot camp in which if you place in the contest or if you win the top three winners and then uh i think the top the top three winners are automatically invited to the retreat which happens in late summer early or early fall in idlewild california uh, and then I think the other, I think the top 10, the finalists are then, ex- they are extended an invite to come as well if they choose. Mm-hmm. And then they bring mentors up and it's not, it's not extensive in the least. It's very, you know, it's like, you know, eight to eight mentors and 15 writers and you're essentially in cabins in close proximity to each other. And you, you know, you sort of talk to them about their career and about the scripts they're writing and and uh you know what they what they want to do and i find that i i think it's great because they always get really great mentors to come up and do it Very so cool. yeah services like that i, I think are, are wonderful awesome um 
we do have a couple listener questions I wanted to throw by you. Um, the first one is, uh, if a writer feels they have a really great script, but it might not be very commercial, um, i.e. it's more of a writing sample as opposed to a high concept script that would potentially uh, be something that's sold, you know, sent out wide. Should they say that in a query uh, or just let the manager, manager decide after reading? Hmm. And I'm, a guess, I'm assuming that they figure their logline won't tell you that, but I, I don't know. This is sort of their question. I, look, I, I'm of the opinion that you, you don't ever, look, I, a writer should never sort of undermine his or her chances of sort of being read. And I think because the business is driven, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the, in the independent space, but because I think the business largely is, is, is sort of driven by a desire to find big canvas writers. Um, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of people take the time to sort of, you know, look look at some, or you know evaluate something properly that way. So I I so I don't know if that is a you know it depends on the recipient really. Um, I I know it's a sort of a vein. and I I don't I don't mean to sort of uh, you know to sort of uh, jump around the the core topic, but yeah, I mean it could I could potentially see that as being a eh, eh, I you know I don't care. Right. Um, I think you answered not, it right not, off the bat when you said, you know, why handicap yourself sort of right from the start? You know, I think. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Because I don't I don't know how many people are going to sort of take the time, as I said, to, you know, to kind of put that to make a proper assessment in that regard right. to say, oh, well, this person's already telling me that it's you know, that it's probably, you know, at best a South by Southwest movie, which means I'm going to have to go find financing. Right, right. If, look, if, 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 the, if, if, it's a, if it's an amazing cover letter, an amazing, you know, voice that seems to emanate from, from the, the individual uh, and his or her script, then, yeah, I mean, how, who's to say that person's not the next Kyle Killen or, or you know, or, or you know, and anyone I think that has a sort of you know distinctly unique voice in our business, you know, who writes perhaps you know some maybe smaller, more non-commercial material. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then somebody wanted to know: this is a question. What does a manager do that an agent doesn't? Why should I pay both? <laughs> a very confident writer. Um, so why should they pay? Why should this writer pay? You and an agent, apparently. Well, look, here's, here's my thing. My, I, I always use the same analogy, and it's a sports analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's volleyball. You know, uh, managers help set, agents spike. Mm -hmm. that's, that, that, that's the best way I can probably sum that up. I, I feel like at a certain, like most managers, yeah, I'll say this, most managers should not be and I find and I find this actually quite a bit. A manager, I've seen managers sign someone, and then uh, immediately say, "Like your first meeting is going to be my friend at at you know at CAA." Mm -hmm. And I don't quite understand the 
reasoning behind that, but you, you take someone that perhaps needs actual management uh, and you want to build a team to create, I understand, look, I understand theoretically why they're doing it because they want the help. They were like, well, if I can get access to, you know, CAA's financing and packaging, uh, that will sort of help me and this, and this client. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am always the best, one of the best pieces of advice I always got, I, I, I ever got in this business was don't, don't chase agents. Agents jobs are to chase you. Right. And I think that right there, and look, it's hard. That is really, that's, that's easy to say. It's very hard to, to digest. Mm-hmm. Writers simply don't want to hear that because that says, you know, that says, well, I have to get to that point where, you know, Verve is chasing me or UTA is chasing me. And my response is, yeah, that's exactly right. My job is to get you there. So the, the sort of long-winded answer to that question is uh, stay with the manager. If, if, if it's a strong, honest, open working relationship, the manager will guide you. Uh, and that's the only person that likely you will need, with the exception perhaps of an attorney. When, right. it's, when you're ready to bring on an agent, likely you will need the agent. So the 20%, 20, 20% at that point, if you're making 150, 200, 300, 400, a million dollars is not, you know, is probably not going to uh, crush you fi- fi- financially because you have, now what you have is a cornerstone in the foundation with right. that manager. You right. have the person that you trust who now essentially, in a way, has almost become an in-house producing partner. And, mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong, it's very much a partnership, mm-hmm. the relationship I have with my clients. You have a partner, and the agent is there to know where all of the resources are and where the bodies are buried. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, is that worth 20%? Mm-hmm. At that point in a writer or director's career? Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. That's my opinion. No, I got you. Um, now, we're headed towards the uh, end of the interview here, and we've got a section called Rapid Fire. Just a few really quick questions. Um, better singer, Mark Anthony or Mark Cohn? <laughs> uh, Anthony. Okay. Um, and I know you were, again, we, uh, an awarding photojournalist. So, better photographer, Ansel Adams or Annie Leibovitz? Oh, that's tough. I would say, I would go with I would go with Leibowitz. Okay. Um, and lastly, uh, as a fellow former Trojan, your favorite former number fifty-five, Junior Seau or Willie McGinnis? <laughs> Willie. Excellent. Um, and that's all the time we have. Uh, great talking to you, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Um, and be sure to follow Mark on Twitter at Manager Mark. And if you have any questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>